Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for listening to the Toronto Today podcast. We had a great chatterbox with Kelly Cotrera and Mike Drolet as we covered the Trudeau-Ford alliance. Who's this good for? Who's this benefit? Well, it might be benefiting Doug Ford and another majority government. You can't like the relationship if you're Stephen Del Duca or Andrea Horvath, can you? Can you? Uh, lots on the show as well, including talking to an author out of Sweden who wrote about Sweden's approach to the pandemic. Much criticized, and there was reason to criticize, especially prior to vaccination. But have they turned the corner, done better, had a better, more productive society? No masks on kids, schools never closed down, and uh, a much better end game than many other Western countries, including ours, according to some metrics. So we go there as well. Lots coming up on the podcast. Thank you for finding us. Toronto Today begins now. Let me start here on uh, this particular hour about work from home. You know, I hear it all the time and people people read polls and everybody loves a good poll once in a while. So I, I see this. We try and find the most recent one and come up with one from uh, March. That's this month. As the COVID-19 pandemic marks its second anniversary, half of Canadian office workers have yet to come back to their cubicles or corner offices. Here's the poll that dictates how people feel about that. How, what's the emotion level like for that? One in eight say that working entirely at their physical workplace is their ideal working scenario moving forward. That's pretty low. That's pretty low. Okay, I'm, I'm one of those eight. I am one of those eight. And I worked from home for four weeks when my wife was in China. Um just because uh, it made things much, much easier on uh, on me, given I was a home for 25, 26 days uh, in a row. But I didn't like it. And I like being in the studio and seeing faces. And and uh, that's that's I think I was you get lazy. That, that's me. That's just me saying that about me. OK, I did not like some of the habits. It's great to go upstairs and make some peanut butter and toast during the news. But uh, but I want to hear the news and I want to be present in in the radio station. So I'm one of those eight, no doubt about it. Here's something I find interesting. More than two in five Canadian office workers, 43%, say they'd look for a new job <laughs> if their current employer mandated they return to the office full time. Now, we say lots of things. I don't believe for a second it's 43% when the rubber would meet the proverbial road. I think that's a bluff. I think we like to brag in surveys. I've never had a survey. Somebody call me up. But there would be a lot of people saying, hey, you get like a cooing female voice on the phone. Hey, I'm doing a survey on how much sex you have. Um, how much sex do you, do you ever have? Sex? You would never. You, you Lots of it. Are you kidding? Absolutely. All the time. I can't get enough of this stuff. And, and is that an accurate, how, how do we prove it? No, we don't want video. So you get what I'm saying. In surveys, we tend to say things. Would we actually do them if it came down to it? And we know from polls, period, really hard to predict politics now. Brexit, polls didn't tell us the true story there. Trump v. Hillary, polls didn't tell us the whole story there. I'm calling the bluff on that. And here's something else I would bring up. And I know there are people that do feel this way. The work from home concept. I, I need to understand why you'd want to work from home forever, interminably. What is this about money? Is and I, I I think this is an important thing to ask. When I think about this, and I was having a conversation with somebody who who does what I do yesterday, and we were both of the same mind. Like I'm people who want this to continue. 
I question motives here at this point in time. Work from home forever. Great. You're 45 or 50 or 55. You don't want to go back. You did the office life for 25 years. You put your time in. You had some great bosses. You had some crappy bosses. You had a really annoying colleague in the cubicle next to you. You made one of your best friends there. Fine. You've done your time. And you did four years of university or more. Maybe you did community college. Awesome. Let me ask you this. Is this something you want for your kids? Don't you want them to have that experience? You want them to grow up. Turn, walk over, maybe keep their pajamas on, turn their laptop on, see people on screens, talk on the phone, do work from home, wander into the kitchen, close the laptop. And you want them, your children, okay, your offspring or other people's kids if you don't have them. And you want them to do that day after day, interminably, with no end in sight for like a 30, 35 year career. You want that. Holy cow. You and I have different values. If that's the case, and that's okay. Everybody can have different values, but I, I can't understand that for the life of me. If you tell me that this is about you and you, and, and you know, this is about you and you only, okay, I'm listening. How about your kids? You don't want them to meet new people. You don't want them to go for drinks after a big moment. You don't want to even, and you know, we got to be careful. It's an office workplace, but this happens. You don't want to be flirting with the new girl or guy. You get lost. That insa- we want our kids in pajamas all day, the first eight, 10 years of their career, from their 20s until their 30s. Because guess what? That's where it's headed if we don't say when it's enough. The pandemic's crushed our socialization. Okay? I'm an extrovert. I admit it. Okay? I'm a nine out of 10 for an extrovert. I like to listen, I like to talk. But what if you're a five or a three? We got to get you we got to get you back in in and get your muscle memory back to understanding what it's like to be in an awkward situation or an uncomfortable situation. How do you work your way out of it? Okay? The majority of people I hear that say, "I like it. I'm getting my best work done. I don't put gas in the car. I can focus here and there." Honestly. Honestly. Like many of you think you're doing it to keep the kids safe, you're causing irreparable damage to those kids. You owe your children, and if you don't have children, you owe the next generation um, something more than you're giving right now. If you're like, nope, laptop class it is. High five. Let me stay in pajamas my entire existence. Let me wander around. I spend more time with my pets. I can keep an eye on the backyard. I can say hi to my... Forget it. I can check the mail earlier. People starting out in the workforce, by the way, often meet the person they're going to marry at work or a work function crazy i think this is remarkably selfish tell me i'm wrong sell me on the opposite direction okay and it's not about safety anymore we realize that i know people that have gotten on planes and gone on vacation but it's it's too much of a risk to go back to the office i know people going to raptors and leafs games but stepping into the office that's a bridge just too far i know people going to restaurants and gyms and working out and doing this and doing that and playing tennis and playing and going on golf trips the office oh no i mean covid could be there honestly everybody can see the game you're playing everybody can see the game you're playing 2899751640 is the phone now is the uh, text line i'm real curious to see where this is at It's one thing for you to say, hey, this is where I'm at in my career. 
I would get a new job. Maybe that's true. Maybe you're legitimate. Maybe you've done that job and you're 56 years old and you struggle with the idea of going back. Maybe all that's accurate. Maybe you don't want to put gas in your car at a buck 70 a liter. I got it. I got it. I don't like doing it either. But I don't do my best work unless I do it. I, I will not. You know, I, I, this is a tremendous, tremendous opportunity for me right now. I'm having the most fun I've had in ages. I'm working with the best people I've worked with in ages. I've got the best infrastructure and support I've had in ages. Um, so I, I'm not going to do this uh, from my basement, 20 feet from the litter box and 10 feet from the, the ping pong table. Because you don't want to hear me playing, by the way, in the midst in the middle of breaks either. If I leave my microphone on by accident, two eight nine nine seven five one six forty. By the way, I'm hearing on text from people that saying I want to get a doctor's appointment, and they're not even back in. Preaching to the choir, we got it. My wife, my wife had had an ear problem, and uh, they tried to give her an online diagnosis with like she had like water in her ear about six seven months ago. I'm like, you can't even what? Like, how do you do that with a Zoom call talking about an ear? let alone a more specific body part. Honestly, enough's enough. I got so much respect for people getting in their car, filling it up, and saying, and, and uh, admittedly, admittedly, some of you were telling me, my boss won't let me in. It's a, corporate, it's a corporate scenario. I can't come in. I know that that's the case. Keep pushing. Keep pushing and keep arguing for it. That's the only way. That's the only way things are going to potentially change depending on that particular workplace. And I hear from so many people who think certain political parties have kind of sold them out. That, that the idea is that young working class people who want to be in offices, who don't fear this disease, who have gotten vaccinated, have been pushed to the side. And we've favored the affluent and we favored the older and we favored the work from home types and the young people that want to be in offices and want to have, and want to be social and want to go places and want to do things and want work parties and all that stuff they're the ones that have been betrayed by say the two opposition parties in this province and are they wrong well we're about to find out in early june aren't we Two, two contrasting opinions. We were talking about work from home earlier, and I don't mind that we're going to talk about it more um, leading into news. Claire writes, and these are both tweets, by the way, at Greg Brady T.O. Um, After 25 years in the same company, I prefer working out, less makeup, time with pets, lunch at home, seeing my kid after school, accepting deliveries, less driving, fewer distractions. That's all good. And, and for Heather, she's put her time in. I'm just saying, do you want that for your kids someday? Do you want them not drive, that cool feeling of walking into a workplace for the first time. We're talking even about this with university campuses. Claire, who doesn't know Heather, but I should make them have lunch together because they'd have an interesting discussion and I would watch this. She writes, you're bang on. People have become lazy and entitled. Many didn't have the privilege of staying home during the pandemic. They're the essential hard workers. Those who had the luxury of working from home feel entitled to keeping that benefit permanently, even at the expense of others. And I know I drew the ire, I-R-E of uh Shiba Siddiqui with this one. So you're telling me, you're telling me you got, uh, you got, you know, friends that, that like it, but I'm asking them to think of would they want that for their kids. And there might be a different answer to that. There absolutely there is. So I think this is very Greg centric. What you, your previous <laughs> segments. No, really. I, I, I completely disagree with this. Look, if I was, I don't have a nine to five job. 
Okay. But the women that I know who do the mothers that I know, and I think it's specifically the mothers, maybe it's the fathers too. I don't know. I don't have deep discussions with them on hikes, mm-hmm. but the mothers that I know, they love working from home. Why? Because it's a whole different experience being a mother. You're there when the kids go to school. You can sometimes do the drop off. If they come home for lunch, you're there to eat lunch with them. You're there after school to pick them up. You can't do that when you're commuting, when you're stuck in traffic, when you're on that go train or that subway, that doesn't happen. And the stress you have when you come home from that commute and getting cut off and doing this and missing this, the train and whatever it is you're not in the frame of mind to then switch put your mom hat on or make dinner or whatever it is it's very stressful now i do know people who are let's say younger not married don't have kids and they absolutely hate working from home and then you know people who are much older who are bored at home they they are very lonely because they don't have anybody to talk to and much of their social life was that water cooler talk in their cubicles in the building whatever it is on the train they miss that. But I think there's a certain phase of life. And that's the phase of life that I'm currently in where you have young kids at home, uh, where the women that I know, they adore working from home. And they're doing the same job. And Statistics Canada released last year that 90% of people who are working from home were working at the exact, being as productive, if not more. They're saying that or their bosses are saying that? They're, well, this is from Stats Canada. This is, uh, yeah, Stats Canada last year for two, 2021. This so- is what... This was, but listen, you're talking about buildings are sitting empty. (laughs) Buildings are sitting empty, right? There's rent that's being paid. Think of what these people can do. Close down those buildings. How much money you'll save if your employees are being as productive, if not more, from home. They're happier certain phases of life, or make make it a smaller capacity for employees who do want to come and give them the option. Do the hybrid. You want to see people's faces? Tell them to come in once a week and have that team meeting that once day a week. That, week. that yes. doesn't that doesn't do any like that doesn't do anything. Why? If you're being just as productive, why doesn't it do anything? Your employees happier. Not the ones who are being forced to stay home. If they want to come in, sure, have them come in. Leave space for them. But the people who don't. And they're being just as productive. They're making you that money. They're doing whatever they need to do. And they're happier having, seeing their kids at home. I, I completely disagree. It's with a your, terrible, your, it's a terrible lesson for their kids. And, and there's no, an element of selfishness and privilege to it. No, I don't think so. I don't, cause you teach them, go out in the world, spread your wings, fly. I'm watching school. mom wander around in her pajamas for, for 18, the next 18 years. And I, and I, and, and then mom says, spread your wings and fly. What do I think that means? I watch my parents leave their house every day, sacrifice things, but also socialize, also meet other people, also get new friends. I'm telling you, this is factoring into our kids are watching us. They watch us like hawks. They're sponges. They take everything in. I think there's a certain phase of life that working from home is such a wonderful privilege. And I'm not saying that everybody it. should do it. It's, yeah. And so it's based in, on selfishness. No. Oh, man. <laughs> it's made, selfishness for your family. People no. can have a, people Teach can your say, kids to get out there. I, I'm against virtual school. You should not be in front of a screen all day as a child being taught on a virtual school. You need to be out there playing with kids and doing whatever. But when you're working from home, sure, you can get lonely, but it's up to you to go and socialize more. Go out Why with Why do the kids have to do something walks. that a 35-year-old doesn't have to do? Oh, what, come what, what on. What kind of example complete, are we setting? Because we have different rules for kids than we do for adults. I know that, Brady. But, but they learn from us. We are give, their role models. Give Charles them the Barber, option. Will Smith's not the role model. Sheba Siddiqui is. Greg no, Brady if is. If they don't like working from home, they won't work from home. Okay. We know that already. But I think oh. that there are certain people, especially moms with young kids who adore working from home. That's uh, Yeah, they adore it because I get it. They don't have to put on makeup. They don't have to put on oh, gas Oh, in the my car. God. It has nothing to do with makeup. They can have a balanced <laughs> just, life. A mom be told a me it had something to do with makeup. Point. I'm it reading right no- from her message. This has nothing to do with makeup. Well, I don't wear as much cologne as I used to because I don't see as many people. Gord, Gord can't God. stand the smell. Thank God, is exactly right. Do you? But let me let me ask you this: Do you think do you, do I do the show better from here or from home? Where should I be? 
What if I said I want to come home? It's too, I'm, the risk is too great for me to be in here with Gordon. Oh, Dave. I think I think it's different. This is the type oh, of job. Okay. No, I no, just no, to make sure no, it's no, no, no. Just like do- doctors, you talked about doctors. Doctors need to be in the office. They can't assess your wife's ear over virtual over a screen. They need to be there. They need to be looking to where you're. They need there's certain certain jobs. But if you're just on a computer all day long, anyway in your cubicle, do it from home. Up if you want to. If you want to. Nah, nah, nah. That's not how I would run a business. Well, (laughs) everything happens for a reason. A lot of people tell me it's good that you don't have a business. A lot of people have told me that over time. So so let's check in with Dave Bradley, see what he's got. Dave, let's just go home. That's it. She was giving us the go ahead. You know what? I'd love to at this point. But. (laughs) Dave Bradley just telling truths in my ear right now. Good for you, Dave. Sheba, we're still like we're still very supportive um, of you. Of, we want of, you, you're, you're part we, of the family. Um, I'm feeling bullied. Are, workplace fear, workplace harassment, and and no and no topic is and no topic on Toronto today is ever Greg centric. I'm a conduit to the people. Um, the average, <laughs> you know, Joe and Mary lunch bucket. That's they're the people. They're my people. At the end of the day, I'm like Doug Ford that way. I'm I'm for the people. That's my slogan. Right. Any uh, text messages of interest? I, I, now I, I know I'm getting barbecued by a few people. Yes, I see that here. <laughs> Look, okay, there's this one I really like. It doesn't have a name on it, but Greg, you're very good at glossing over other opi- <laughs> others' opinions. Working at home allows for the following benefits. No 45-minute one-way commute. Substantial savings on gas and vehicle depreciation. Uh-huh. Okay, check. Yeah. Extra time experiences with your f- children and your wife or your family, your husband in this case. Uh, contractors' appointments before five o'clock. Wonderful. How can less time around pricks at work? Oh <laughs> God, geez, no point. names. Ow. Let's not go alphabetical. <laughs> nice. Well, so so, and where does the non-selfish part come in? You tell I don't me. understand how you're being selfish, and I'm not saying every job. All, in all the those world. sounded like Listen, selfish points to me. No. Oh, spending time with your family is a selfish point. Yes. Saving money. Yes. Saving money is a selfish. No. Donate to I, the economy. The that's Starbucks your mental are, health. The, the, you don't want to go into debt and depression and anxiety and whatever happens with that. Hey. The forty-five minute commute. That's like stress levels. That's your health. Oh my God! Forty-five whole minutes in the. We that's, got we got listeners that drive two hours a day. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about this text message. Specifically. Oh, okay. Just that one person. That, that Starbucks is a close across the street on Queens Key. That Dave and I would love to go and get a a fresh latte at. And we can't go. We don't even, and we don't have an intern to send to go either, Gord. We got to yeah. look into that also. I, I do say this debate sounds better with the music in the background. It's really, <laughs> <laughs> you can't take anything anyone says seriously. Eight twenty-two. Uh, NDP MPP Saul Mamako is calling us around eight forty-five. I really want to get his perspective on uh, Pope Francis meeting with First Nations leaders in uh, the Vatican. He's given them some time. The question is, does this result? Are they just getting used going there? There's no government um, and no liberal government uh, folks there. Uh, We talked about that yesterday. I don't think there should be. I think that would muddy the waters a little bit. But does this all result in the Pope coming back to Canada, being on Canadian soil and making that apology that many of the leaders want. We'll see if indeed that's the case. Uh, our next guest, a uh, brilliant, brilliant person. We love chatting with her. Security analyst, associate professor at Carleton University in Ottawa. And she took over the Globe and Mail yesterday. Um, I, I look forward to the new direct. Well, no, but there's an op-ed in the Globe and Mail that she wrote, and it's uh, fantastic. And she joins us now to discuss. She is Dr. Stephanie Carvin. It's great to have you on. I really enjoyed what you wrote. 
Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me on again. It's uh, you know what? That wasn't the worst introduction to the morning. So. Would you would you like to run a major national newspaper? I hear they're dying, <laughs> but but I don't know. But I've heard that about radio, and that's not true either. Uh, you know, I, I'm quite happy just running a small little <laughs> podcast, so that's, that's that's good enough for me right now, But and being on your show, of course. Oh, thank you. So the headline, and uh, sometimes we don't write the headlines, as we know, why Russia's propaganda machine has failed to control the Ukraine narrative. Would you say this is a new development, or did you think in the first week or two that Russia would be able to have a lot more of a sphere of influence on how the world saw this conflict? Well, really, since 2014, and actually even really going back as far as 2007, 2008, we have seen Russia really effectively use information operations, at least in the beginning stages of conflict, uh, in order to uh, further their ends, whether militarily or or politically or, or both. So, you know, in, in 2007, um, we saw Russia strike against Estonia uh, when uh, they were upset at some of the measures that uh, Estonia was putting in place. But, um, you know, going back to, you know, different tensions between the Estonian speaking uh, population and the Russian speaking population, they were putting some measures in place to effectively um, control the Russian speaking population. And as a result, Russia did a massive cyber attack on the country, just absolutely massive, uh, knocked out banks, everything for, for quite a while. And, and that was one way they politically uh, retaliated, right? Um, and then, but we really saw this come to the fore in 2008 in Georgia, where Russia was able to basically knock all the government communication systems offline, all the radio, all the TV, mm-hmm. as it started to, in, uh, you know, an invasion into two areas of Georgia, which is has subsequently, you know, recognized, I think, as independent republics, but as effectively annexed. And then in, in Crimea in 2014, we saw the same thing, you know, the fact that, you know, they use these information operations to create confusion, uh, muddy the, the information environment so people can't really tell truth from fiction, don't really know what's happening. And then you can take advantage of that chaos and, and, and kind of move your troops forward when you're annexing that territory. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, for all these reasons, we did think that, you know, if Russia's going to Ukraine, we thought, oh, boy, you know, they're going to be able to do this again. And they really haven't. Stephanie Carvin's our guest on Toronto today. Do you would you say Russia then has turned their focus? Um, I always I always call it like a sports term, flooding the zone with with propaganda. It's sort of like Trump. Just get as much stuff out there, and if people believe it, fantastic. And if they don't believe it, they weren't going to vote for you anyway. But as Russia have all these talking points, have they turned their focus, Stephanie, to just their own people? Have they given up on messaging the rest of the world because they shrug their shoulders and say nobody's buying it this time around? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the focus has just simply been on their, I think, you know, they don't really have a good news story to tell the rest of the world. Like, first of all, you're invading a sovereign country. That's not a good news story. Secondly, you are, um, you know, I think the fact that they were hiding it from their own people and their own military forces, like for a very long time, mm-hmm. you know, lots of reports that their own military didn't know they were going in, meant that they couldn't do the preparation of the information environment going ahead. And yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of truth in what you say that, you know, now, um, you know, the, the, the focus is largely on the domestic Russian population. But in order for them to do that, they've effectively had to criminalize journalism, 
right? Kicking out all foreign reporters, um, in, 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 but not, not saying you have to leave, but basically making it a crime to report on the conflict in any way. Um, that they have now, you know, I think YouTube is being shut down. They've lost Facebook. They've mm-hmm. lost pretty much everything, calling these um, social media apps terrorist organizations. So, yeah, I mean, they are focusing on their own people, but, you know, they're having to do it in such a dramatic way that people are drawing comparisons back to the, the worst times of the Soviet Union, um, which really sucks. Does, the only other thing I will say to that, sorry, and it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. The one thing that I think we may see going forward is, you know, the Russians adapt. They're, they're, we're seeing them adapt militarily now. They're going to adapt their information operations. And then they may not be focusing on Western countries or Ukrainians, but they may start focusing on the rest of the world. So uh, parts of Africa and Asia, you know, to get those countries and those populations on side. So when you have votes at the United Nations, for example, maybe it'll go more their way. Do they care about our elections? Do they care who who the prime minister is and whether we have a majority or minority government? I know it's easy to, to dismiss and we'd say, well, they sure care about the U.S. election and they've showed that two straight elections. They probably care who's in power in Great Britain and, and in many European power uh, power dynamics. But do they care about Canada? Canada is probably a secondary concern. I mean, one of the interesting things is we don't have a very obviously pro-Russia candidate, unlike the U.S., which clearly (laughs) did. And Donald Trump, I should say, yesterday also asked for another information dump on Hunter Biden. Um, You know, I mean, Trump is is not even being subtle about it. Um, So we don't have that. So in some ways, I think the aim of Russian propaganda when it targets Canada is not to favor a political candidate, but really to kind of disparage our political system entirely. They want people not to believe in democracy. So this is why, you know, we see things about, you know, um, you know, the voting is rigged, that, you know, the system's unfair, that our, our, our leaders are dictators, all that kind of stuff is the kinds of things that I think a Russian disinformation campaign would amplify as opposed to choosing a candidate. So, you know, if you don't have someone on your side, you just don't want anyone to believe in anything. I and think kind I, of their approach. I, I got about 60 seconds. I do think they like chaos. I'm sure they looked, you know this well, I think they looked at the four weeks in Ottawa and thought, well, that's great because the people are questioning democracy, people questioning on whether their vote matters and whether and whether we have legitimate arguments about lockdowns, mandates, this and that. They look at the that was chaotic. That was chaotic, pure and simple in Ottawa for four weeks. And Russia's propaganda machine doesn't mind seeing that in another country. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we shouldn't be surprised that a lot of those supporters or at least a lot of the accounts of people allegedly supporting the convoy um, have now turned to spreading some of that disinformation that Russia is trying to put out there about biolabs in Ukraine and that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they're trying to denazify Ukraine. We're, that, we're seeing those same accounts spread that line because they've been spreading, um, you know, a lot of that misinformation coming from Russia about the pandemic, about the convoy. Um, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that, that those two things are in some ways linked. You can read her opinion piece in the Globe and Mail. Stephanie, it's great to catch up again. Thanks so much. You're doing great work on this. Hey, thanks for having me on. Stephanie Carvin, an associate professor of international relations at Carleton University in Ottawa. 8.30, let's check inside the newsroom uh, and see what Dave Bradley's working on. And a lot of what he's working on is uh, anticipating um, some bad weather in the next little bit. And it's going to last a good chunk of the day, isn't it? Yeah, it's supposed to be off and on. Uh, possibly some freezing rain here in Toronto, likely just switching to rain fairly soon into the afternoon. But it could hit within the next hour or so. Up north in the Barrier, 
area. It will be freezing rain. There's a freezing rain warning currently in effect. And as a matter of fact, school buses canceled in Simcoe County this morning. There's uh, no second day of face-to-face talks despite some movement in peace talks between Russian and Ukrainian officials. Two sides have agreed to head home and talk things over. But the U.N. now says with the war into its fifth week, more than four million people have already left Ukraine to escape the violence. And the provincial government is announcing their latest plan to try and bring down housing prices in Ontario. Reports indicate it is going to cut the red tape that keeps houses from being built. So that means there could be more supply and in turn lower prices. I think you made a good point, though, about this uh, a potential snow day. Has it ever happened in April in this province? I I can imagine I, it has. I, I would think so, but it's been a long time, that's for sure. It's been a long time. I'm also glad when we get Easter later in the year. Like, imagine Easter Sunday being a day like this oh, weather-wise. It should always be in late. I don't know who we talked to. Gregorian calendar people? <laughs> Just push Why it. does it move around so much? I don't have a good answer for that. We'll get more at 9 o'clock. Thanks, Dave. Sounds good. On our way back, things we're not talking about, and MPP Sol Mamakwa from the NDP, and I want to talk to him about what's happening in the Vatican right now with First Nations representatives. Where's this go? Is this just talk, or does it lead to action? All before 9 o'clock. This is critically important, and sometimes I think I think we on the show kick ourselves for not not talking about it enough. It's worth talking about this week. We talked Monday and gave a recap over what's transpiring right now, and what is transpiring is 32 Indigenous elders, leaders, um, survivors of residential schools, and younger people too, who um, who are advocating strongly for all the same thing here. A meeting at the Vatican, the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops organized this trip. There's no government um, interaction happening here at the provincial or federal levels, um, and they're meeting with uh, Pope Francis. The goal is for the Pope to travel to Canada and come and apologize for the Catholic Church's role in the residential school system. Is that going to happen or not? There's talk that it will, but a lot of people end up being skeptical about this process. I'm so pleased to welcome on Saul Mamakwa, NDP MPP, uh, who's joined us on the show before, talking about all issues, but certainly uh, this critical and and tragic issue at, at that. Saul, thank you very much for making the time for our audience. Good morning, Greg. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, it, it's so important. And like I said, I you know you can imagine, right? A lot of balls in the air, um, and 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 looking all across our planet, it, it just feels like madness and mayhem sometimes. But I don't think we can take our eyes off this particular ball. And and I think we've been we've been talking about it for um, in peaks and valleys for the better part of a year now. And as you know, we should have been talking about this for decades before this past twelve month period. Yes, uh, certainly, it's uh, been an ongoing uh, since last uh, summer when we found that 215 of our children and uh, the Kamloops uh, was certainly an eye-opener for a lot of Canadians and and also uh, particularly, you know, this visit is a reminder the effects of, you know, these uh, Indian resi- residential schools, uh, they're ongoing. These effects are ongoing and mm. for a lot of us, sadly, it, uh, you know, when we talk about intergenerational trauma from Indian residential schools uh, has become a way of life. I mentioned it earlier, and I thought Monday, um, and I'm more than happy to be corrected if you feel differently, uh, I, I thought it was a good thing that there was no uh, government involvement here. And and I think even even Mark Miller from the federal government denoted that this is important for survivors and uh, and people who are uh, you know who are who are willing to go and talk about their perspective 
having a, basically an indigenous only uh, traveling party was a good thing because there's there's no politicizing this issue. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no left. There's no right. There's just right and wrong about this. Yes, certainly. I think uh, it's important that uh, indigenous uh, lead this process, the visit. And, um, you know, uh, I guess just regarding the visit, like, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder why are we the ones uh, doing all the work of reconcil- reconciling? And, um, you know, it should be the Vatican reconciling with us, not the other way around. And it's just, uh, you know, the Pope should be coming to Canada asking for forgiveness, and the sooner the better that would happen. And uh, and I think uh, even before that happens, uh, you know, the Pope uh, must actually revoke the uh, the 1493 Papal Bowl, and, uh, which speaks about the doctrine of discovery. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, like we, our people were never, you know, never been barbaric or or savage. Like you know, we're not uh, we're not savages running around the forest, but we're human beings. I wonder about that. Do you worry? Um, do you worry about photo ops? Do you worry about exploitation and people, you know, showing and and attempting to show that they care as opposed to doing something concrete? Is that a concern even with this visit, Saul? You know, I think certainly there's a concern. I know uh, I'm uh, following some of the social media uh, that's happening from up there and uh, with respect to some of the uh, artifacts that they have, Mm -hmm. some of the, um, you know, records and uh, like a visit to the museum and all that. So, and I think that's uh, that's a concern, uh, you know, certainly where they have asked people to leave because they're taking pictures of uh, uh, these uh, issues that, uh, or that uh, items, the artifacts that they find there, which is mean... um, uh, has a lot of meaning for First Nations, and uh, and I think uh, you know uh, we need to be able to start looking at uh, you know the Pope releasing the names of the priests and uh, and nuns who abused children that are still alive, and uh, but also I so understand that uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was never meant to persecute people, but uh, justice must be done. But I want to ask you about that because the practical conversations I have, um, that comes up. And, and if somebody brings it up first, I'm more than willing to engage. And sometimes I'm the one bringing it up first in these discussions, both with people of, of, of First Nations blood and others that aren't, is saying these people, Saul, still walk amongst us. The timelines just match up, that there must be people. Maybe they're a couple decades older than us, but they're alive and they know what happened and they could – even despite what they may have done or not done, they can help us put some of these puzzle pieces together. And and we should we should be doing that, should we not? Should we not be finding out who's alive that can tell us uh, what they did and what they didn't do? You know, certainly I think uh, um, criminals who abused our children, our ancestors, and who are still alive need to face justice, period. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to be able to understand that, uh, that the cases of sexual and physical abuse from the schools have led to more even abuse in First Nations and uh, suicides even. So, and I think, uh, uh, and I, if it was anybody else, uh, you know, um, you know, non-Indigenous people, non-First Nations people, like, uh, there would be, uh, you know, there would be justice. Cindy Blackstock's quote um, I read last night, uh, well, I knew we would be speaking today, uh, the best apology is changed behavior, and I'm not sure I've seen that from the Catholic Church at this point. Um What's your comment on on Cindy saying that? Are, are there still sort of hurdles to be climbed over in terms of how the church talks to and treats people of First Nations origin? It's uh, you know uh, they've known these they've known these for a long time. The only reason that it's coming out is because of the two fifteen that we found in the Kamloops, 
And it's, uh, you know, I talk, I talk about, you know, the, the physical suffering that our people went through. I talk about uh, the emotional suffering, the mental suffering. And, um, you know, and then I think one of the things that really for, for a lot of people is, you know, uh, wounded by a spiritual suffering, the wound of all wounds. And they take, mm. took away our spirituality. And, and I think uh, uh, we need to be able to, um, you know, uh, uh, we need the truth before we can have reconciliation. We need the truth before we can have healing. And it's so important. And, um, and I just, uh, if they knew already, if they knew decades ago, if they knew hundreds of years ago, how, how are they yeah. going to change? Salman Mock was our guest, NDP MPP, joining us on Toronto Today. Last thing for you, you say you're following the social media of this. Are you more or less confident, Saul, than you were 48, 72 hours ago that Pope Francis will come to Canada, make that commitment, and apologize for the church's role in residential schools. Are you more confident that happens now? You know, I uh, on Monday I watched uh, the Métis and also uh, um, the Inuit visit that the Pope uh, tomorrow is the First Nations uh, delegation. So I'm looking forward to that, and uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll wait. Uh, you know, I'll see how, uh, how uh, what they ask for, and uh, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what they ask for and what the feedback will be. Saul, your time's really valuable, and but it's really valuable for you to share your perspective with our, our listeners. You've been front and center and, and, and a leader on this, and I know you won't stop uh, until you get more answers and more justice, uh, as you put it. Thank you for making the time for our audience. Uh, uh, a very big thank you. You got it. Saul Mamakwa, uh, NDP MPP. Well, a lot of evaluation about certain countries' COVID responses. We've often heard that. And, and you heard this maybe a year ago at this time or 14 months ago when we started to talk about getting vaccinated. It felt like the Great Barrington Declaration was colliding with the uh, the John Snow folks. And we're like, what should we do here? Is there a middle ground? And I think most most Western democracies sort of took a middle ground here. Well, why don't we become like Australia? Well, it's not that easy for France or the UK or Germany or Canada or the United States to be Australia. We're not an island. We're landlocked. And and how do we get our goods and services uh, across? Sweden did things a little differently. And our next guest uh, has a great book that I'm so eager to read. It gets released May 27th of 2022. That's this year, obviously, about six weeks from now. The Herd, How Sweden Chose Its Own Path Through the Worst Pandemic in 100 Years. And one of the authors of that is Johan Anderberg. And he joins us now on Toronto Today. Johan, it is great to have you on here in Toronto, Canada. Thanks very much for making the time. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm really e- eager to uh, to get uh, a hold of your book and dive into it over a, a weekend day uh, when we've got uh, better weather here. Um, I would say that, that it's, yeah. it's probably the evolution of writing this is tricky, right? Because you're probably like, when do I stop? We're, we're still, there's still so many evolving processes with this pandemic. When did you say, <laughs> I'm cutting it off here. This is when I want to stop. This is when I want to get it published. Yeah, I think it shows to follow one year because uh, it was pretty obvious that Sweden took a very different path during, especially the first year. And also after a year, year and a half, the results were kind of clear when it came to like how many people that had died and how many people that had been hospitalized in, in different countries throughout the world. So I thought that was a pretty good end point. Mm. You're seeing a lot of, um, is there a lot of revising comment from people in North America, people in Western Europe looking at Sweden saying, well, l- let's let's talk about quality of life or let's talk about the fact that 
you know, masks here have been such a political hot potato. They have been in the States, too. But I'll tell you, they have been in Canada. And we're wondering whether we ever should have put masks on anybody under the age of 12. And 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 Sweden didn't. So it, it's really interesting. There's a lot of revised history about some of the things Sweden got right. Are you noticing that in, in world in world media coverage? Yeah, I think so, especially when it comes to closed schools, which we never did for kids under 16. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious what a, what a, what a toll it took uh, and how damaging it was to children. So, But when it comes to masks, uh, I think the difference is even more pronounced. Like for me, for instance, I've only worn a mask perhaps three or four times uh, throughout the pandemic and for a total of less than 30 minutes. So uh, it's pretty amazing to see uh, what, a different, like, what, what a different view different countries have taken when it comes to this. Now, when I look, um, Johan, and, and I look at a lot, you know, I, you know, I go on the Our World in, in Data site, um, I'm seeing, and if I'd said this six, seven weeks ago when people were talking about Sweden, I'd say, no, you'd be surprised. The, uh, you know, deaths per one million people is lower uh, in Sweden than it is in Canada. It's lower than it is in the UK. I'm noticing a slight uptick just in current numbers. Now, that's a really small sample size, but how would you say the pandemic is is moving right now in terms of, of Sweden? Are you are you going through a wave that, that's beginning or that's peaking right now? It's pretty interesting because the pandemic is uh, over in people's minds. Like, everything is back to normal and no one wears a mask and no one is even talking about it. But uh, you're right that the deaths are probably... Up a little bit, and but it's like out of the news cycle, so people aren't really that concerned anymore about it. Mm. And also, hospitals aren't—they they, they have lots of capacity still. So that's probably like the main in, in the main figure that policymakers have been looking at how how full the hospitals are. Yeah, that, and that's kind of why where we're going. Um, I I remember thinking on the show maybe even eight months ago, Johan, that cases have once you get past vaccination and once you also realize, especially when we got to Omicron, Johan, that with with everything being as transmissible as it was, cases and even positivity rate, to be honest, was was almost no way to judge how the pandemic was going. We had to look at hospital capacity. We had to look at how is our medical community able to uh, be stable. Also, when should they isolate and when should they not? Those were more the metrics that we went with. I, I think there was a real sea change in terms of cases are up cases are down and judging it that way we were able to do that the first eight months it ceased relevance by about i don't know september early october of last year yeah and uh, sweden as has like all the scandinavian countries has a pretty high vaccination rate so mm-hmm. if you're vaccinated three times and you're like 25 years old it doesn't really matter whether you're infected or not because it's, it's gonna be very mild for you so when you're seeing, especially I mentioned um, where we were end of 2020, let's say, going into 21 with vaccinations um, coming to our doorstep, Johan, Sweden was really getting assailed in uh, in terms of, of criticism across the world. What did you make it a, a, of it at the time? I, I look and I go, well, we've had a bunch of different vaccinations. Uh, sorry, a bunch of different pandemics here. Was some of the criticism fair uh, in the first six, seven months? How do you describe it in your book? Um, well, I guess um, they definitely did a few things wrong. I, the, the main thing they uh, they got wrong was uh, the risk that it would hit Sweden at all. Uh, 
they they really trusted the Chinese scientists and the Chinese data, and, like for way too long. But once it was here, I think most we agree that uh, measures taken were uh, were the right ones. And, and I think people in Sweden were really thankful that their kids were in school, and especially that they didn't have to wear masks once there. So I think we. We found ourselves uh, in in a strange spot because most Swedes are kind of like uh, probably like most Canadians, more on the progressive uh, spectrum, um, and we found ourselves on the same side as Republicans in the U.S. who didn't want like masks or who didn't want lockdown. Well, that's kind of interesting, actually. Oh, it's incredibly interesting. Um, and, and I think there's people here that lean more left than right that are questioning. I don't know. Did we get this right? We use the phrase, was the juice worth the squeeze? Meaning, was it worth it to cl- keep small businesses closed? Was it worth five different school? Lo- I can tell you here in Ontario, where we are, the province of Ontario, we lost more school days than any other province in Canada and any of the 50 states in the United States. And we look around and we say, post-vaccination especially, Johan, was it worth it? I mean, we I think it's really fair for us to ask those questions now. We can't just throw our arms up in the air and say, well, who knows? We'll never really know. No, we got to ask questions so we know better the next time. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think it's pretty clear that the only thing that works really well is uh, the vaccine. Yeah. All other measures uh, are very dubious, to say the least. So when um, this is interesting, right, your chief epidemiologist, Anders Tegnell, um, got, a, got a job at the World Health Organization. I think that says volumes right there. And it should be pointed out, the World Health Organization said never put masks on little kids, never put masks on, on toddlers. And they were greatly debating, should we even be masking kids 5 to 11? That's coming right from the World Health Organization. Again, nobody's got everything right through this. No one has. But that was a principle that I agreed with. I think it speaks volumes that Anders Tegnell, if, if the policy was so flawed, the World Health Organization, the WHO wouldn't say to Anders Tegnell, we want to add you and, and make you a, a big part of coordinating, you know, a, a response plan in the future. I know he was a polarizing figure, but that's a huge statement by the World Health Organization to, to give Tegnell that job. I think when it comes to masks, it's really interesting how they reason in Sweden, because they were like uh, they were uh, separating efficiency from efficacy, which they, uh, they they saw that of of course masks work in like a controlled setting, but once you make like normal people with no medical training and especially kids wear masks, the efficiency goes way way down, and also it's uh, probably detrimental. We don't know this, but I, I would guess that it's detrimental to their evolution uh, when it comes to speech and emotional skills and so on. Absolutely. Well, um, kids that suffer, uh, you know, with hearing issues, Johan, kids that uh, suffer from autism, every parent, I I hear from countless parents that say um, it's absolutely affected not not just their growth, their reading development. I'll tell you, I had my my youngest boy's 13 now, but when he was two or three, he was a little bit delayed with speech. So we had him in some speech therapy. You go through some exercises. I couldn't have put a mask on him in a million trillion years at that age. I could not have done it. I wouldn't have done it. Um, I, I would have seen that as a as a level of cruelty that I would never have slept properly the rest of my life. And I think a lot of parents felt that way about little, little kids. Yeah. 
So what was it like now? Do kids still have to wear masks? No. Um, we just lifted them in school two weeks ago. Um, the province of Alberta, where Calgary and Edmonton are, lifted them six weeks ago. And we're seeing a little bit of a wave here. We expected that. But I, I don't think it's getting quite as... Um, there was a lot of bullying from a few doctors, I would tell you, about eight, nine days ago. But I think we're shrugging our shoulders saying... We, you know, we can't be in a constant state of panic and alarm for 25 months. It's it's ravaged us mental health wise and and households are going to have to, you know, my 80, my 78 year old dad, right, has to have a different life over the next several months than my 13 year old son. But we did a lot of one size fits all health recommendations. It's open. It's closed. It's open. It's closed. And I'm not sure we did that properly. No. And uh, yeah, I think it's really important to go back and uh, to look at the decisions because maybe it's not the pandemic the next time. Maybe it's like a uh, different threat. And I think we we're in a lot of trouble if we expect constant action from our policymakers and politicians. And I think we should be a little bit humble when it comes to what we can do, as, uh, what our politicians can do to to stem an infectious disease and so on. I, I th- um, yeah. I, I think you nailed it. Humility has served us so well. What we've got wrong, what we try not to get wrong a second time and 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 listening to people who have a sense of logic and balance and nuance uh, about this. I can't wait to get a hold of your book. Let's stay in touch on it when it gets uh, gets published. And thanks so much for making the time today. The book's called The Herd, How Sweden Shows Its Own Path Through the Worst Pandemic in 100 Years. And I have this right, right? It'll be available here about six weeks from now, end of May or so. Yeah, it's already out on Kindle, I think, in most, maybe in Canada, too. Okay. <laughs> Not right. sure, but in the U.S. at least. We'll point people in that direction. Johan, thank you very much for the time today in Toronto. We greatly appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. You bet. Johan Anderberg, the book is called The Herd, How Sweden Shows Its Own Path Through the Worst Pandemic in 100 Years. Kelly Catrera on. She likes garnishes. I can't I can't prove that. Between 9 and noon. T- yes. What do you want? Nine and... <laughs> you must want something. You're being far too nice. Steak freaks, come on. Everybody knows I'm a hamburger girl. Oh, okay. Uh, nine to noon, uh, Kelly's got uh, you covered uh, for my drive My drive home in the uh, in the spitting sideways hail today. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, uh, I'm budgeting an hour and a half for it. And Mike Drolet joining us, uh, global national Toronto correspondent and uh, generally tall human... What's your height? Hey, hey, hey. Keep my height... Out, 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 my, out my mouth. All right, fine. Is, is, Can is I ask? Is it too late to do that because it was two days ago? It's is not. That, uh, it's Everybody's still weighing in. Jim Carrey's weighing in. Plenty of people yeah. are still uh, weighing in yeah. constantly. I, I'm 6'5". I'm tall enough that I once, wow. when I was growing, I once ran into a subway and I almost knocked myself out because my head hit the top of the door. I almost, yeah, I got a concussion. It was terrible. I knocked people over. It was treat. embarrassing. I could walk under your legs <laughs> to get out of the subway car. That's beautiful. Try that. It's it's, uh, it's usually a parlor trick, but uh, if you want to just do it on a regular day, we're fine to do that as well. Uh, let's start. I'm seeing this video of, uh, or sorry, this this still image of Justin Trudeau and Doug Ford walking, and Justin's a little taller than Doug. But here are some of the quotes. I'm dying to get your read on this. Uh, Trudeau gushed, Doug. It's so good that we're again together today. Here's what Doug says. I just got to thank them again, meeting the federal government. Two governments working side by side, shoulder to shoulder, forget the political stripes. Kelly, we never thought we'd see the day uh, three years ago. This feels like, and I bet you if you're Stephen Del Duca and you're Andrea Horvath, you're aghast at these comments. This is not what you want going into a June 2nd election. 
I think this is real smart politics by the Ontario PCs. They are playing so nice in the sandbox with the federal liberals. But by design, is this is this working for them? As Canadians, I think we do want people to be uh, nicer to each other. I think it's just a default. We like that. So that's pleasant. However, this is why people hate politicians. I really think so. Because you can't have someone rail three years ago and think we're all going to forget about it. Like, these men were, you know, spitting nails at each other three years ago and calling each other down. And all of a sudden, they're, they're, they've got a bromance going on. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and it's, it's not sustainable, first of all. But, I, hey, listen, I think what people want after COVID and after two long years of COVID is something to get done. So if this helps stuff get accomplished, then I think people will go along with it. But I really don't think this helps out when it comes to getting people to the polls at the end of the day, because I know so many people that go, eh, I don't know, they're all the same. And this kind of proves it. Is this by design, Mike? You've, you've watched this game uh, get played a long time with premiers and, and uh, prime ministers and, and the candidates as well. Last year at this time, we've got Doug Ford hammering Justin Trudeau. Well, the variants aren't swimming here. They're putting ads together of planes in the air and, and, and blaming Justin Trudeau for new variants and, and new cases and new deaths of COVID, really. That's where we were at a year ago. It's, there's a lot of playing nice happening 12 months later. There is. And, you know, I, I actually kind of I think it, it just shows that uh, Doug is learning his politics. Finally, you know, I mean, he came in, uh, you know, with his, uh, the experience that he had with it, with his brother being mayor and, uh, and being a counselor. And, and you know, he, he came in and uh, he was really kind of new to the politics. He sort of came in out of nowhere. Right. To become the premier. And uh, I think this is a smart move, because if you look at politics across North America, it is so divided. It is so along party lines. Oh, my God. The partisanship is just it's just enough to make you cry. And you think, you know, when are you going to get stuff going for your constituents? And, you know, maybe he's looking at the federal scene and he's saying, you know, I don't know if the conservatives, the federal ones are going to get their act together in time for me to be able to get what I need for the people of Ontario. So he's made a deal and, you know, he's got, you know, he's $10 daycare that's coming and, and, you know, he's getting the money when he can get it. I think it's just smart. He, it, it's not like he's, he's walking across the aisle in his own uh, province and making some sort of deal and saying, hey, kumbaya. He's getting the federal and, and provincial guys together to be able to get money. That's money that's supposed well, to come. And, and Mike, to quickly, quickly follow up on that, he also stayed right out of the way in both federal elections with Andrew Scheer as, as a conservative leader. And he sure, Aaron O'Toole's an Ontario guy. Doug Ford had, has some backing and Doug Ford stays right out. He, he, he dives into a hole during federal election campaigns. You can't find him during those times. And again, that's smart. That's a smart move. It's brilliant. Why does he need to put his nose yeah. Into the into the federal business. I mean, that's that's eating at a different size buffet. You stay in your own buffet. Stay in your own lane. Oh, you're making me hungry at uh, this hour. Uh, uh, the steak treats got me going. Started it. I know. Yeah, that's true. Kelly Terrible. got Kelly's got a three hour show. She's got 67 minutes uh, for sustenance hey, before I got it gets going. Butter toast sitting, getting cold right beside me here. Very, what else are we going to talk about? Very jealous. You're going to hear that. a steak getting cut in hour two. I know you will. Well, it's it's. I, I heard Kelly. You, t- you had a great interview with Jeff Cohen from the Horseshoe yesterday. He's great. I know you love talking music, music venues, and yeah. and I'm I I'm listening to it, getting excited. We've talked COVID safeguards before. I had to double back. I got home after that interview, Googled sort of some stuff as to where we were. End of January, 
we were talking polls saying 25 to 30 percent of Canadians wanted to ban unvaccinated people from grocery stores and the LCBO. We started. Should we tax the vaccinated? These were real conversations. We had, you know, even Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca. Well, we got to stop. We got him and a giant maskless rally for the Liberals last week. And I'm not criticizing that. I'm just thinking we have moved like light speed towards a lot of things. I know that concerns some people. Are you surprised that's only two months ago, Kelly? Uh, no, but I will say this. Uh, Jeff Cohen from the Horseshoe said, yes, we have dropped the mask mandate, but you still have to have your vaccine passport to get in. Mm hmm. So, I mean, by all accounts, we're going to talk with Dr. Bogosh off the hop uh, at the start of the show. There are epidemiologists saying, you know what, it's, we are in the sixth wave right now. It's just how big it's going to get. We've got the signals and the wastewater going up and the province's science advisory table putting uh, the doubling rate at nine, uh, or, or, sorry, the doubling rates every 9.6 days. So, I mean, I think it's too early to completely let down our guard. Um, and I think there are a lot of people... Uh, that want to believe it's done. I hate to say it. I know you and I are on very different sides of this uh, coin. However, I I don't want to see a situation where we've got surgical backlog again. I mean, we were already dealing with this. We don't need another pause. So I think mm. we need to, I, I you know, I'm not shocked that it was too, did you ask me if I was shocked that it was two months ago? No. Yeah. It, it, a <laughs> lot of, I, I don't think we're, I got a little off track there. Oh no, but I, I don't think we're, I, I think this is worth watching. I, I'm concerned about, uh, you're, we're always going to be concerned about hospital capacity and, and certain waves. I, I, I think our, uh, maybe our, our, our scenario is whether or not any mandates are effective at this particular point, but everybody's got to manage their own risk. I know if my dad was living with me at 78 or my mom was living with me, I got a whole different, methodology um 24 7 no doubt about it everybody's got to manage their household risk mike what's your thought on how fast we've moved towards these things well you know you're, you're talking about the the manage the risk and you know i'll give you an example you know my, my daughter had somebody who uh a close contact who ended up getting uh covid just this past week and the thought was oh geez okay let's uh there's a whole bunch of close contacts as one child so everybody thought about it and we're like okay, let's be safe but the people who had the whose child it was had COVID were pushing to have this kid re-enter into sort of the the area and the environment, and and you know the other parents were like, you know what, no. Mm. And the argument that was made was, well, this is what the uh, and some parents were making this actually. Well, the province says that you don't need to test and you don't need a positive test and stuff, and and you know the parents are very much self policed, and we said no, and and the reason was is because. You know, some people had parents who had autoimmune. My, my wife has an autoimmune disease. Uh, you know, the, some of the other parents yeah. had, had grandparents living with them, and they said, we, didn't, we weren't able to see those, those grandparents for a week because we, wanted, we had to be safe. So, you know, it's, it's far from over. And, and really, yeah. well, there is no you know, over. I, I really There's no over. People say just, oh, but this, the government says this. You know what? I'd rather listen to the epidemiologists. I know the anti-science people out there will lose their minds, but, you know, get yourself a degree first, please. Uh, before you start listening to the political machinations of, of the province and then the decisions that they make. Mm. But, you know, it is up to very much up to every family to sort of make their mind and to be able to decide whether or not they want to still mask. And I'm totally fine with that. Just, you know, mm. 
be smart. Let's let's have some like let's have some morals and let's have some sensibility about this. Yeah, my my kid's got plenty of friends that have COVID right now, and we tested him last night. He's negative, so he goes back to school today. He wouldn't have gone. He would. I, I said you're you're we got to give it five days. And I do think there's a lot of confusion about messaging since then. Like when should we isolate? Who should we isolate? Where, what's a what's deemed a close contact? There's no doubt we're 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 kind of wandering. A little bit blind all on our own. To, and I think all three of us would agree on that. But that that that's probably the only way forward. What's going to be different six months well, from now? Very little. Very little. Let's hope it let's hope it works for Ford. Because if everything mm. falls apart and if we have to go back down to lockdowns, like Shanghai's in lockdown right now, that's going to hurt our supply chain even more than they it, already are. It, but if we go backwards and he's got an election coming up, yeah, you know, the fingers are going to be pointed at the government. Well, you let us do whatever you yeah. wanted. Like, it's your fault. Yep, it's the, the there's not many moves that aren't going to be politicized uh, moves or non moves at this particular point. Kelly's got Isaac Bogosh out of the gate. Doctor Isaac Bogosh at nine oh five this morning. We'll be listening. Mike, thanks so much for this. All right, remember to keep Kelly's name out your mouth. I'm trying. It's not that. <laughs> it's called a cross promotion. Thanks so much for listening to Toronto Today. Back with a live show tomorrow on Thursday, final day and final show of the month of March. We're here. Took us a while. Uh, You'll be hearing us on the Radio Player Canada app or on 640toronto.com between 5.30 and 9. And right back here where you found us and downloaded us, feel free to share with a friend. Spread the good word about the good work we're doing on Toronto Today. We'd greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.